The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 15 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, what are you up to these days? Well, nothing much. Uh, the The weather has been kind of weird. It's uh, decided that after a very brief spring-ish uh, season, when everything, when all, all the snow melted and, and it got quite warm, then it decided that it should... Uh, started starting snowing and and raining and getting cold again. So uh, it's it's been interesting. But again, except for that, we're we're still in this goddamn pandemic and and everything is cancelled. So um, uh, well, I'm, I'm yeah. spending time reading vampire books and making a silly podcast, which is quite fun. So <laughs> How about that's you? nice. Well, I'm. I was. I was sick yesterday. Um, I don't know if if people can tell, but my voice is still a bit rough. I was. I had um, throat ache and um, cold and everything. I I did go and and have someone shove um, a Q-tip up my nose, and I don't have the coronas, so ah, that's, well, that's that's nice. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 still I'm still sort of recovering. But I'm I'm heading out to some friends today, and we're gonna be gaming, so that's nice. Um, but yeah, I, I could I could use a healer. And speaking of healers, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I went far too wide for that segue. But anyway, today's book is the last of the Dark Ages clan books, clan book Salubri. Uh, it's written by Cynthia Summers and developed by Richard E. Dansky. We start as always with the cover, and and I have to say I, I don't like it. The vampire on the cover is clearly a warrior salubri wielding an almost comically oversized axe and they have some weird armor plates, overly red lips. It just it doesn't work for me. No, I, I agree. It looks really weird. The, the pose that the, that he's in is it kind of looks like his, his arm is almost bent too far behind his back and it looks like he's almost falling over. Uh, and he also has this weird kind of star-shaped. I don't know if it's, if it's supposed to be his his hair or if it's some kind of a tattoo or something on his head. But it it just looks rather silly to me, all in all. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the artist was going for, but but yeah, silly is a good word. Uh, it didn't really didn't really achieve anything beyond that for me. Yeah. The interior art is fine. Uh, there are no pictures that I think really stand out as being either exceptionally good or really terrible. There are some weapons and armor pictures that I you know, just wanted to point out. Mm. Um, on page 52, we have someone carrying a sword, and for once, it has a more rounded point, uh, which is nice for the time, and it's not oversized. It's actually uh, on the short and slender side, which is appropriate for an arming sword of the time, a, a very modern arming sword for the time. It could be an oak shot type 11. Uh, the pommel and cross guard are too modern for 1197, but that's a minor thing. And then on page 56, we have someone wielding a long sword, and while the proportions are good, as we've said before, it's at least 100 years too early. On page 60, we have the battlefield healer, and he has a ton of stuff on his belt, which is really good to see because uh, they didn't have pockets back then, and a healer needs to have various herbs and stuff. But one of the things he's wearing is a dagger, which looks really good for, for the time. It's a Quillon dagger, but it's not in a sheath. And having a sharp dagger in your belt without a sheath is just begging for you to cut your own belt in half. Yeah, I, I've, been, <laughs> I've been looking at that as well, uh, and... I'm 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 just going to pretend that it's it's uh, a very nondescript sheet, uh, so that you can kind of pretend that perhaps it's uh, it's not the fuller or, or the midridge going down the, the center, but rather the, the seam of, of a leather sheet or something like that. But but yeah, I, I agree. It's especially the way it's it's being carried, kind of like it seems to be wrapped um, in the the belt or the. Uh, or, or the thong that the, um, it's being carried in. So if, if you draw it, you're going to cut your belt and all of your stuff is going to 
fall to the ground. So yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and finally, on page 66, we have a picture of Ahab, the traitor. Uh, it's just the head that's a picture of, but the helmet he's wearing is really good. It's a metal pot helmet with either a, a male uh, attachment or a male coif underneath. It's got some weird cheek guards attached, but otherwise it's perfect. It looks mm. quite uh, appropriate for uh, for maybe an, an, an Arab or Middle Eastern uh, helmet. Uh, now, I did notice quite a few hats, so is there any clothing you want to point out? Well, in, in general, uh, the, the illustrations are actually quite few and far between, considering uh, there, there's a lot of text in, in this book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you, you mentioned the headgear. There, there is one on page uh, 65 on uh, Jack O'Dawes, who has. The I was of, thinking about that one. Yeah, he, he has the kind of traditional. Uh, Robin Hood hats, and they they were around for for a bit, but again that was uh, g- later on in in the 1300s when they started coming into provenance, uh, and and uh, the idea of, of carrying a feather in in the your hat that way uh, doesn't really have that much um, basis in history, at least not what from from what we can see in in illustrations and stuff, but. Uh, overall, I, I found the, the illustrations, or rather the clothing, uh, a bit boring, actually. It's, there's a lot of people wearing what kind of looks like T-shirt over long sleeves, kind of-ish, like, like in the 90s, where, where all the cool kids did. And there's, there's one guy wearing a robe, but it's not very detailed, and it's rather boring. Uh, and then on page... 58 we have the court advisor who oh yes uh he he's wearing a hat which is kind of nice and it's it's a kind of style it's it's the floppy uh kind of slouch hat that has been around literally for ages uh and it's it's basically the same kind of hat that if you if you turn up the brim in certain ways you can get everything from from a bicon to a tricon to the to to what some kinds sometimes called a, a pilgrim's hat but but he he must be from a really poor court because he looks more like someone uh, cosplaying as as kind of a, a, a fat hobbit farmer. It's kind of <laughs> I, that that's kind of the, the the feel that I get from him because he he doesn't have any jewelry, he doesn't have any buttons, uh, he does have a fur trimmed coat, but it could easily it looks more like like a, a sheepskin coat that that a shepherd or something would wear. Uh, doesn't have a fancy belt, doesn't wear any daggers or belt pouches or anything. So. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that one as well. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, it, it, it looks kind of weird for a um, for, for an advisor. <clears throat> and um, that, but the thing with hats is I was thinking, on the one hand, it makes sense for Salubri not to wear hats because they need their third eye to be opened mm. for uh, for their discipline. But on the other hand, it makes sense for them to wear hats in order to cover up the the third eye. Um, but yeah, it, you're, you're right. The the clothing is a bit on the um, on the um, on the boring side, and you could say, well, maybe they're Salubri. They're trying not to attract attention. But on the other hand, it would attract attention that they're their clothing is so boring you'd think well why why is this person wearing such boring clothing they can't be that poor can they um, yeah and, and the biggest problem is that it doesn't really look like medieval clothing like i said it, it kind of looks like the old 19th fashion of, of wearing short sleeves over long sleeves in a lot of cases yeah so but anyway uh we start with the usual two black pages with the Salubri clan heraldry and some text before going into the intro story. Now, I really like the intro story. It focuses mainly on vampires and it has in it something that I'd never thought about before. A vampire who was embraced when his wife was pregnant. So now he has a young living son that he is raising and is very attached to, which is uh, an idea that I really liked. Otherwise, it does a good job of showing the effects of Tremere propaganda. So, yeah, I thought this was a good start. What about you? Yeah, I, I like the story. I like the, the characters in it uh, and and the kind of uh, the, the, the embraced uh, n- noble uh, lord that, that has to deal with kind of his do, do I go with my clan or do I do I protect this this guest or or do I give in to the propaganda that I've been been fed? So yeah, I, I like it. It's 
it, yeah. What, what I what I liked about it was that it it wasn't too over the top. It was it was uh, rather almost somber in in its tone, so that it wasn't this whole bombastic. Oh, let's kill all the salubri because they. Uh, are, are heretics or whatever. So so yeah, it, it it really goes with the kind of the the feelings and the mortality of um, of of the salubri and the, the fact that they are supposed to care about mortals and and uh, being caretaker caretakers in a way. Yeah, uh, and of course the the salubri character makes an appearance later in the book because it's it's all written as. Um, sort of a journal entries and interviews and mm. stuff like that. Um, we don't get the intro that is common for um, for for these uh, vampire books, you know, with the how to use this book and what does this book contain. Uh, but we go straight into uh, chapter two, the chapter on the clan, um, which highlights the divisions of the clan. Uh, as I mentioned, this is a, presented as a collection of interviews and other doc- documents. And I'm always ambivalent about this, but I think it's done well here. It's it's always, you know, um, you're, you're thinking, okay, on the one hand, the information that we're given could be tainted so that you can always change it. Uh, there's nothing canon here, but sometimes you kind of wish you'd get canon. Uh, but that's really, I think, a personal taste for that differs from person to person. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, well, I I like the fact that uh, the the person who's writing this uh, is is I think he's supposed to be a Toreador, but the fact that he isn't a Salubri kind of shows that this is a clan in decline, and uh, we we need someone, we need help from from out of the clan to to even write down our own history. Like there's, we can't spare the manpower to to do this, and and perhaps it might be that. Um, the the modern day uh, salubri are so isolated from each other that they don't even know stuff that perhaps this Toreador scholar knows more about clan salubri than, yeah. than it's actually wow. I, d- I didn't members. even uh, I didn't so, even think about it like that but you're right that's a very cool way of illustrating the the problems of the clan so yeah, so, yeah that so, was, so that was that's, nice that's what I really liked about the fact and and that it's um, again presented in in like you said this kind of uh, interview with with the vampires kind of stuff, but uh, but what I what I really dislike, uh, or or rather, I, I agree with the fact that it needs to be done properly to to have its desired effect, and and I think it does. But what what kind of bugged me a bit was that um, for some reason, and I can I can understand why they did it, but it again it still kind of annoyed me is that. They change the font depending on who's speaking and if it's supposed to be like text or if it's supposed to be someone talking or if it's an, an annotation. Uh, and, and and when you change the fonts like that, it can be really difficult to read uh, because it, it just strains your eyes, uh, especially, especially when you have these kind of fanciful uh, fonts that, that are so common in... Uh, in the Dark Ages books, uh, so so you have something that is supposed to look like handwriting, and and all of a sudden it's it's more of a gothic font, and and it's just I don't know it it's it's a bit overdone. I I don't mind when they have like for example a couple of pages that is supposed to be a letter written by someone because if nothing else you could probably use that as a handout if if you needed to. Uh, so that's good. You can just copy it and and hand it out, but. But when I, I saw on one page, it was like three different fonts, and then you had a sidebar uh, with with your own different fonts in it. And you also had like some of the text is black and white background, but the sidebar is, is white and black background. And my eyes just went like, nope, this is, yeah. this is just an yeah, I'm I've gotten to the age now where I need reading glasses. So, yeah. so if I don't have those around, it can be a real annoyance to uh, to read. So, so absolutely right there. You know, like you say, I can understand their their motive for doing it because it it makes it very clear what's going on. But <clears throat> it 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 could be done with if they done it, used them maybe a bit bigger font or something like that. It it probably would have worked a bit better. Mm. So anyway, we start with the warrior cast, which takes up most of the chapter, which I think is appropriate. Uh, since the warriors are relatively new, not in in lore, uh, sorry, in, in in the clan history, but but they they're relatively new addition to the history of clan mm. uh, Salubri. 
and that um, so so they're the ones we know the least about. I really like this section of the chapter. It does a lot to establish that the warriors of Lupri are not just fighters. They are spiritual. They are taught to read and write and speak many languages. And also there's a connection to angels and to angelic apocrypha. And I'm a huge fan of angelic law. In fact, when, when I was studying to become a teacher, my final paper in religion was on angels. Um, and, and there's a lot of, of really cool angelic lore and angelic apocrypha out there that you can really tie into this idea of the warrior Salubri taking uh, their name after an, an, an angel. Uh, obviously, a lot of it is, is sort of made up stuff, um, but it, it's something that you can easily fit into the world of darkness and say, well, in the world of darkness, this is 100% true, or this is something that the warrior Salubri believe to be true. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it does a good job of giving you um, ideas about an insight into the warriors. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like, the, like the, the, the things that you're talking about as well, that, that they, they kind of uh, get their new names when, when they're, not when they're embraced, but when they have kind of graduated as, as a warrior and being finally accepted properly by the sires. Uh, and, and luckily you have some, some rather appropriate name and you don't get the blood raven dark bloods and and whatever that was <laughs> popular on the white bull forums uh, at certain times during the early 2000s uh but but yeah i, I again I've, i think i've mentioned it or at least i know that I've, I've talked to you in private about this is that kind of the uh the the clans in quite a few ways more or less correspond to the different character classes in dungeons and dragons Mm. And to me, the, the warrior cast of, um, of the Salubri, especially in the way that it's been presented here, very much uh, corresponds to the paladins of, yes, um, very much. Uh, of, of the uh, of, of D&D. Uh, and uh, it's, it's not a bad thing, but because I, paladins are one of my favorite classes, and I, I do like the, the kind of uh, scholarly uh, warriors, uh, and, and especially since you still have this kind of uh, healing the the fighter healing aspect, which is quite common, uh, not only in fiction. You uh, you you have Aragorn, for example, who who is both a, a warrior and a ranger, but he also uh, he he can heal, um, he, or at least he tries to heal uh, Frodo, but his healing isn't uh, good enough. And and then you also had the real world um, connection to to the royal touch, which was I believe that was quite oh, yeah. big in. Uh, mostly in France and England, if I remember correctly, which yes, uh, yes, where where you basically believe that that the king uh, sins, and and this goes to the connection to God, uh, to God that the the king is anointed and appointed by God uh, to rule over the, the mortals or the or the, uh, the material world, uh, so that you could be believe that uh, the king's touch or the royal touch um, could heal people. <laughs> Um, and so you had, it was very common in, in uh, uh, during coronations that the king would touch the, the uh, peasantry or the, the common people being gathered there trying to, uh, or to cure them. Um, and as a fun side note, I think it was in France where, where later on when they kind of realized that the king isn't really uh, doing anything to heal people. So they, they added a saying for the king or for the situation that, uh, the, the king touches you, uh, may God heal you. So you kind of <laughs> shift the blame to God, right? So, so okay, I've done my part. Now you just need to go and pray. And if you if you do it enough, then then God is going to heal you. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, to to get back on topic, you have the the kind of healer uh, fighter um, thing, uh, and in in some ways, it it also kind of reminds me of of how the the Bruja were. Uh, presented with the with the scholarly fighters, uh, scholarly warriors, uh, yeah. which, I, which I also like because it's it's kind of um, a similar aspect, but it's not completely the same. That the, exactly, there's uh, a very very clear distinction there where this has much more spirituality, hmm. where the Bruja try to be a lot more practical, and um, you know they, they're they're far more philosophical yeah. about it, where where the Salubri are far more spiritual yeah, about exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you have the, the the scholar warriors of the Bruja and the, and the more uh, idealistic warriors, uh, or as you said, the spiritual warriors of 
of uh, the Slubri. So yeah, that's I, I like that part as well. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing on page 20 where, where they talk about uh, famous warrior salubri, uh, where it says, uh, Herschel was a German youth barely out of pagehood when he nearly fell on the battlefield while carrying his master's standard. His sire, fighting nearby, received a mysterious summon to save the boy. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning that knight battles were insanely rare in in these times and if you were fighting at night there really was no reason for someone to carry a battle standard because nobody would be able to see it um well, <laughs> i mean well, in... considering all of the stupid things that people did for no reason just because oh, yeah. of, of chivalry and stuff like that then then it's um, uh, yeah it it, uh, it it wouldn't surprise me if some german forced this page to carry it anyways but yeah i, I see your point absolutely <laughs> Um, and then uh, one thing that, that they talk about a lot here is the, the Code of Samuel, which is this idea that he uh, he wrote what the warrior Salubri was supposed to be like. Mm. And we'll get into that more later because there are some specific powers and merits and flaws there. But just the fact that they put this in and say, yeah, but it's lost, that's uh, a good story hook because obviously you could have a story about questing to find uh, a fragment of the true code of, yeah. of Samuel. Uh, one thing that um, I think we should mention but not go into uh, too deeply is they talk about female warriors. That is, are women embraced as warrior salubri? Um, and they say that it happens, but it's a rarity. And, uh, I mean, the whole idea of female warriors in, in history, I mean, even today, it it's you can't really, I think, find... Um, armed forces. Israel is probably the closest to where you have armed forces where men and women are, are treated equally. But even like here in Denmark where you have the draft, it's only men who are um, who have to uh, to go into the draft. Women can can sign up to do their um, to do uh, a stint in the army, just like uh, a man who's drafted, but they don't have to appear before a draft board. And there are still a lot of, of militaries where women uh, can't serve in combat roles or can't join special forces. Um, but it's it's a very lengthy discussion because it's it's a very complex topic. Uh, but they do they do talk about how. It happens, but female warriors are a lot rare, rarer uh, than, than male warriors. Yeah, uh, and speaking of that, I'm, um, Sweden has just... We, we also have a draft, but it was kind of on hold for, for quite some time, which, uh, without getting into politics, was quite controversial. Uh, but but now we've, um, we've actually... Uh, uh, we, we actually change it so that... Uh, that that women has to uh, be be drafted as well. Uh, oh. It's so uh, I I don't know the exact kind of like details on on how to. Um, f- first of all, it, it it's not that many people in all that are actually no same same in, in Denmark in the military. So uh, and and there it's if I understand it correctly, it's quite easy to to avoid it if if that's what you feel like doing, but. Uh, but we have started drafting men and women equally, um, and uh, but but back back into the game. Uh, one of the characters being uh, be being interviewed uh, or taking part of the narrative is is a female that is supposed to be a warrior, I think. So that's that's cool. Yeah. And uh, and she has she has the name of of an Irish saint. Uh, so I'm guessing it's it's supposed to be some kind of of a Celtic aspect, and and Celts were a bit more open. Uh, you you have uh, Bodicea, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, in... I'm not 100% sure how you pronounce it, but I think people know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, uh, Celtic chicken or lady queen warrior badass who, who uh, beat the Romans in or fought against the Romans in uh, uh, in Britain in, in uh, well when when the Romans were there. Uh, so so yeah, it's um, uh, it, it's cool that first of all that that she uh, that, the, that they include uh, uh, a female warrior and that she has the name of of a male saint. Um, and and just to quickly go back to to the naming things, I like the fact that it says specifically that you take the name of an angel or a saint. It, it's not the old thing where. All of the saints, or even angels and other important characters or supernatural beings, are supposed to be uh, 
vampires, but that it's they specific, specifically say that you just take the name, which of course can mean that from from a mortal perspective, if if you meet this this uh, supernatural being with with glowing powers and uh, and strength of of many men who calls themselves Michael or Gabriel, then you probably would associate that with with one of the angels, and you would start spreading that myth or or that yeah. rumor. Uh, but it's not actually supposed to be it. So so there you have a very nice kind of storytelling hook again to to connect religion and and uh, vampires in in a way that I really like. Yeah, and it's it's also worth mentioning two things. Firstly, that uh, this book makes absolutely no assertions that um, that this religion is is real. They simply say uh, simply say that they take their names from from angels, mm-hmm. and it's also not uh, specifically Christian, obviously, because uh, this book um, is is uh, focused on Europe. It's focused on Christianity, but the angels appear in in all Abrahamic religions, and angelic beings appear in numerous other religions yeah. uh, as well. So, so they're they're not saying well. We're, well, some of them are probably saying we're Christians and we we f- uh, follow the Christian angels, but the general take by the Salubri, especially the warrior Salubri, is simply well, we are spiritual. We uh, take something from the divine and we take our names from the divine servants because we are also servants of the divine yeah um so the second part of this chapter concerned the healer cast and we start with the story of saulot which makes sense obviously because he was the healer uh, it was samuel who became the warrior so we get uh, a short uh, story on his embrace his studies in the east and all of that this story claims that Saulot was the first to achieve Golconda uh, which does seem plausible um, all things considered and even if you don't like it uh, this claim is still in character so it doesn't need to be canon but I would definitely you know in in my games if I ever found a situation where I have to say uh, what is canon on who invented Golconda, or who was the first yeah. to to walk that path? It was it was Saulot. Yeah. Uh, then we get the same look at what makes the healers as we did with the warriors. And while it's shorter, I feel that once again we get a good feel of what it is to be a healer salubri. And of course, we get the mention of um, uh, some salubris having their havens in in monasteries because yeah. we need to have that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think it's, but, it's but, mandatory by now. So yeah, but you know, top marks for me on on this healer section. Yeah, I, I agree uh, that, um, uh, it, it, like you said, it's it's not necessarily as detailed as this, the warrior section, but, but considering that the healers are kind of the, the, the standard salubri, it doesn't need to be as um, expanded as, as the warrior cost, so, uh, because you don't just want rehashing of the same old thing that you already know. No, but I think it's important here because in the in the um, warrior section, what they did was to establish that um, if you want to make a Salubri warrior cast, you're not going to be making just uh, a a perfect uh, warrior who's only focused on being the best fighter there is. Mm. Uh, you have to add other elements, and here they give you some insights into well, if you're making a healer, how do you make someone who's not just a goody two-shoe who runs around helping everyone. Um, I don't know if you've ever um, uh, in in Warhammer come across uh, oh, what's her name? In in Warhammer Fantasy, there's a healer goddess, um, and and you can play priests of that. And and yeah. it's it's always a bit of a problem with um, with well well she's all about healing, but they do put in some some things about well there are certain being she can fight against and uh, that that here they also you know say they're healers but obviously they are willing to take up take up the fight against beings that they consider yeah. um evil yeah uh, is it shalia uh the goddess shalia, of yes. mercy and thank you yeah yes uh, so, so but yeah it's uh, and and that's also kind of a a thing that i like in general is that uh there there comes a time when when even the the healer lays down their tools and picks up a sword, and and that's also a very evocative thing. You you have that in um, 
like the, the kind of the, the fighting doctor or the fighting medic you you have that in a lot of fiction you have it in um uh, or or at least when when you have badass doctors like for example in uh in, in one of your favorite movies uh yes. and commander you you have paul bettany uh playing uh, Stephen Maturin. yeah Maturin, dr yeah. Stephen Maturin. yeah yes. and uh, and if if you want to go a bit more hands-on then then you have uh, you 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 have the Marvel universe, which is full of doctors. Not that many of them are actually medical doctors, but you do have <laughs> one very badass medical doctor, uh, Doctor Stephen Strange, uh, yeah. who, who I feel could probably be a very good salubri if if you wanted to. Um, yeah. Especially considering his connection to the uh, to Eastern mysticism, which which is also something that Saulot is supposed to have, uh, that he he's supposed to have met Buddha. Uh, which I, I think is a nice twist that that they bring up again. It it, it takes away from the or it moves away from the Eurocentricism uh, yeah. that, that we have. Obviously, vampires would spread around and it would get influence from uh, from other places and stuff like that. So uh, so I, I like the connection to to the East, so to speak. Yeah, I also love that that I can't remember if it's in this section or in another section where they say that yeah everybody says that that um, Saulot met Buddha and he met Jesus and he met the prophet Muhammad but really what what is most likely is that uh, vampires who follow a specific religion uh, or salubri who follow a specific religion will say that Saulot met whoever is the greatest yeah. within that yeah, religion exactly. which is a really nice way of of sort of saying yeah maybe he didn't maybe it's just something that they're that they say so yeah. it's 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 really well done here yeah we end also oh, uh or was there more you wanted to say about the healers uh no no not that okay moment. so not, not we end with a short mention of a third cast the watchers i think this might be the first time they're mentioned and they get a lot more attention in in later books I think it's an interesting addition, and in this book, they are a mystery that can be used in many different ways, but we'll we'll get a lot more information about them later mm. to, to talk about. So do you have any last comments here? Uh, no, not, not really. I, I I must say I'm a bit ambiv ambivalent about the, the Watchers, uh, because since you don't really get that much uh, information on them, I, I really don't know how to use them, but it, yeah, it's... It, the actual information isn't bad, but it's it's just a bit... There's not a lot of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Chapter 4 is about the Salubri relationship with other clans, as well as with various realities of being a vampire. We, we uh, skipped uh, Chapter 3 there, we, regarding the what? third eye. Uh, isn't that in in the same uh, no, it's, a, same it's actually uh, its own chapter. Uh, the chapter 3, Miscellanea et Demonica. Yeah, that's that's a relationship with others, and then we move on from from that to um, uh, to uh, on feeding, on the kiss, on solid. Yeah, you, you, but you you jumped straight to chapter oh, four. Oh, right. That's sorry, I completely missed that. You were absolutely right. We start that one with regarding the third eye, with various theories on on how the third eye came along, and obviously this whole third eye thing is is in uh, our modern. Uh, well, mainly known for uh, for its connections to Eastern mysticism. Mm. Uh, so, what what did you think about that uh, section? Yeah, well, uh, again, we, we touched upon it briefly. I, I do like that there's a connection to something that isn't white Christian Europe because that's that's kind of been done, and it's I like to get uh, uh, I, I like to expand my vampiricism, so to speak. And I, I if if nothing else, I feel that opening up. So that you can kind of say that that yeah even if um, even if if the vampire community kind of started out in in Babylon and Ur and and this kind of um, uh, basin of, of uh, civilization that that you often talk about, I I do like the fact that they spread out fairly quickly and and there's no reason why uh, any of the clans couldn't have just gone to to Africa or Asia and. And done a bunch of, of vampire stuff there, and then some of them might have uh, might come back, some of them might not. But but there is no reason why vampires should only hang around um, in in like Christian areas areas. Yeah, and I think what they do very well here is they avoid Orientalism. Sure, mm -hmm. he travels east and he talks to mystics and sages that give him new powers and new insights. But it's not like 
ooh, this makes him better than all other vampires. It's just, this gives him a different perspective on things. It gives him new powers um, and and uh, gives him insight into Golconda. But it doesn't make him the greatest of all the third generation simply because he went to the East, which is a nice touch because sometimes there is a tendency towards Orientalism. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember that being a criticism of the Kindred of the East book. Yeah, I can, I can completely understand that. Uh, but but yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's a nice touch, and uh, I, again, like you mentioned, it's it could be an explanation for uh, for the third eye. Uh, I do like the fact that they they don't really give a, a finite explanation for the third eye. It's they do mention yeah. that it's connected to uh, to their clan discipline, Valeran, uh, but again, it doesn't say that how uh, how did it first show up and and like. This is this is the boring science behind it because um, Salubris is since it's a clan that it's so very much connected to uh, spiritualism and and uh, mysticism and stuff like that. I I like the fact that they don't have a definite an answer to to the third eye. Yeah, and then after the third eye, thank you very much for pointing that out. We come to their relationship with other clans as the re- various realities of being a vampire. Um, and when it comes to their relationship with other clans, it's, I mean, it's obvious that there is going to be a kinship between the Tsimish and the Salubri because both of them have lost a lot uh, at the hands of the Tremere and they're, they're both uh, opponents of the Tremere. And I love the juxtaposition because you have the Salubri who uh, are very spiritual, very connected to Abrahamic religions, mm. religions with with um, a single God and, and the divine. You have these very uh, spiritual warriors. You have these very caring healers juxtaposed with the Tsimish who are hardcore pagan uh, at heart. They... they um, when they acknowledge gods, they acknowledge a pantheon of gods, but mostly they just consider themselves the next best, best thing to gods. They are uh, very pragmatic and uh, destructive in their uh, approach to war, and they torture people. So on the one hand, you have two clans who ought to join together yeah. against the Tremere, but at the same time, you will have some serious personality clashes. And I can just see all the, the role-playing possibilities of having either a caring healer salubri or a very um, paladin-like warrior salubri having to work with, you know, your classic flesh-shaping, um, torturing Tsimish warlord. Yeah, I, I actually, one of the, the clans that I noted down to, to talk about was the Tsimishi just, just for that fact that you have the very much... The, the difference in in morality and and outlook on life in general. So so yeah, and and overall, I, I really like the chapter uh, or this section of it that it, it's very well written uh, to show that uh, Salubri is uh, a clan in decline and it's a clan on the run uh, and it's a clan that has uh, few friends and and many enemies and and you kind of have to take. Uh, basically, the, the beggars can't be choosers. That yeah. The, one of the quotes from they they have quotes from from the characters who are interviewed in in the book, uh, and and one of them uh, says uh, speaking of and he's he's one of the healers and he's been spending time with with the Tzmish and he says that uh, my time among them has been informative if not entirely comfortable, uh, which, <laughs> which and then it goes on for a bit, but. Uh, uh, but but that that's kind of it sums up very much on how I feel or or how I, I think that that the Salubri feels about uh, the relationship with with the Tzmich. Um I I also wanted to uh, to talk about the, the Malkavians and the kind of uh, again because we have the the whole um, seer uh, m- mad seer uh, versus the, the the spiritual healer kind of uh, relationship between Malkav and and Saulot uh, and and I really like that as well because it's uh, spirituality and insanity is something that has that goes very much hand in hand uh, oh yes and, very much and I do like uh, the the kind of idea that uh, Malkavians and Salubri have kind of a connection that 
at least when the clans were more prominent or when Salubri was more prominent, that that the Salubri could go to the Malkavians to help with, with dream interpretation or, or stuff like that, with visions, and the Malkavians could possibly go to the Salubri uh, for not, not obviously not healing them from their derangement, but just helping them out a bit, uh, so that now that um, that kind of, of, of panacea uh, that the Salubri could, uh, uh, could bring to the Malkavians is gone, I, I could really see that a lot of, of murderous Malkavians are out to get revenge on the Tremere and just not not necessarily killing them, but could probably do that. And and a pissed off Malkavian who wants to murder you is probably something really terrible. But but just <laughs> yes. just messing up like like um, defiling uh, Tremere chantries or or just ruining rituals and and uh, planting fake. Um, uh, fake magical scrolls and stuff like that, like messing up uh, uh, holy relic or not holy, but magical relics and stuff yeah. like that, just just to show that okay, you you messed with with our uh, our friends, and so we're gonna mess with you right back. Yeah, and also this one establishes, which I really like, it establishes that the Salubri were um, probably when they were a clan, they were closest to some of the clans that have the least amount of political power these days, the Malkavians, the Nosferatu, yeah. the Asamites, who obviously have more political power in the Middle East, but, but when we look at, at Europe, whereas they had uh, a less good relationship with people like the Ventru and the La Sombra. So it makes sense that once they fell, the clans that they had the closest relationship to had the least amount of power to help them. Yeah, exactly. And and it, um, it goes to the kind of the, the outsiders, the the whole thing that, that if you help the poor, you're kind of an outsider. You have the poor monks uh, that that um, it, that has to help the uh, the poor and the lepers and stuff like that. So it it's it's really um, yeah, it's it's very evocative and and it it paints a good narrative. Yeah. One thing that, that was a bit annoying was the background heraldry uh, for each clan where they had the clan symbol in the back. It made it a little difficult to uh, yeah. to read, um, but that's a, a minor thing. And I love how one of the things that they mentioned, because they talk about things like, uh, for example, the kiss, uh, the, the feeding kiss. Mm. And they, they talk about other realities, feeding and things like that. And then they talk about loneliness. Yeah. And that's just... That's something that I love that they include there that, yeah, the Salubri are lonely. Um, and I mean, there could be a few Salubri who are loners by nature, who, who like doing the whole lone wolf thing. But it's just something that that short paragraph just gives you so many ideas for creating a character where you can really do some cool role-playing where you have someone who can wax about how lonely they are, how they miss others of their clan, and how that can be tied into a character concept. Yeah, and, and they also mentioned previously that, that uh, Salubri shouldn't embrace out of love or or for uh, a want of companionship. It's like, that's, that's not a good enough reason to turn someone into a vampire, because being a vampire is horrible. Um, and, and then they, the, yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, on. well, on the same kind of vein, I they, they have a uh, small note on ghouls. Uh, that was the one that I was going to yeah, talk and, about and as well. Yeah, that that they say that it boils down to that you're either a canine or you're not, uh, and and you really shouldn't compromise about um, those things. And and what I really like about that is is kind of like the implications that that causes for for the salubri because. Ghouls are invaluable uh, to to survive, basically, in a lot of cases. Like, if, if you need someone to go out and do something in the daytime, uh, you you need a ghoul uh, or or a, at least a mortal to do it for you. And uh, and if you don't, if you kind of um, if you kind of shun the use of ghouls, then you're gonna be at a disadvantage, which obviously is something that has uh, inflicted. Uh, or affected the the clan now that they're on the run being hunted because like the Tremere can send out ghouls to burn down your haven in the middle of the day or just drag you out into the sunlight if you don't have ghouls to protect you you're screwed uh, so so it again this entire chapter really shows how how vulnerable and and how left out the salubri are and and really shows that 
they're, they're gonna be they're they're not completely extinct yet, but they're on the way. It's it's a really steep downhill. Yeah, um, and and it just it it makes uh, things a bit more realistic in that you know you had some uh, a group that was once a clan how can they have declined so fast well they don't make things easy for themselves in so many ways uh and it's it's nice that you have this so that you can so that you can say yes there is a reason for it rather than oh well it's it's in the story that this happened so very well written yeah um Chapter 5 is rules. We have new powers and merits and flaws. We get two powers available to warrior Salubri who are blooded by the true coat of Samuel. Uh, each of them costs 7 XP and the second blessing of the name seems uh, the more powerful. In fact, it may be a bit too powerful for just 7 XP, though you do need a 7 point merit to be blooded by the true coat, so it sort of balances it out. Uh, we get some new powers for disciplines uh, uh, of level 5 or below, but no information on how you attain these, whether you buy them as additional powers or you choose them as alternative powers when you get the right number of dots. So that's a bit confusing what exactly they were going for there. Uh, we also get three high-level powers. One is level 7, one is level 6, and they come in that order, which confused me a bit, yeah. and then one level 10 uh, which I'll get to. Mm. Uh, the level 6 power is pretty cool because it makes ending the watch the level 4 warrior power that allows you to peacefully kill someone if they truly decide to die worthwhile. Uh, but I'm wondering if there's a typo with a level 10 power that it was supposed to be a level 9 power since a level 10 power generally would only be available to Saulot himself. And the description says it's one of the rarest uh, Valorant powers and yeah, it's one yeah, of the rarest exactly, if it's a level yeah. 10. But... There is the rule that vampires in Golconda can uh, achieve powers beyond their generational limit. Uh, so it, it might be that it's in there and saying this is something that uh, Salubri in Golconda can learn. But it's just, I mean, it's extreme. What it does is also extreme because it's basically resurrection. Yeah. Um, but it is very extreme and I, I don't think it should have been included um it 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 just seems too much yeah it's again it, it for me it also feels not, not only that you mentioned that it's it's basically a, an antediluvian level of power so when is someone ever going to use it and it's like resurrecting mortals is is that something that's really is that common enough in anyone's game that you need a specific power to do it is like I, I have, I'm having a hard time seeing when that would, when when you would actually need to have a rule mechanic for it. Like yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind a really powerful salubri, probably an NPC, uh, just resurrecting a mortal in uh, in in a somewhat bizarre set of circumstances to, uh, but. Or, or at least in a very and at a like, greater cost as well. Yeah, like like when when the when the story calls for it, you could do it. But yeah, but it would just ruin things if the if if you all of a sudden had to roll a bunch of dice and like no oh sorry no that didn't happen because you didn't get enough success yeah. or you didn't spend enough willpower or whatever. So yeah, I, I agree that it's it it I don't know it's it almost feels kind of pointless uh, that. Yeah, and I mean, there's another power um, that that I think is a lot better for this kind of thing. Uh, it's a Mortis uh, power, the Cappadocians. Uh, it's also a very high-level power, and what it does is, if someone has recently died, you can call back their uh, spirit into their corpse for a short amount of mm -hmm. time. I think it's something like between 10 minutes and half an hour. And then, you know, they're still dead, but their spirit inhabits their corpse for a short amount of time. Yeah. I think that is a lot better because you can go, yeah, you are dead, but you will get a chance to say goodbye or a chance to give us some important information or even, you know, we've captured the person who killed you. You now inhabit your corpse. You get 10 minutes to kill them. Yeah, exactly. Go go on a last frenzy or whatever and, and or, or just like a last stand or something to, to take out. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I that's that's a much better or or a more interesting uh, power I feel. 
Um, I, I also one of the new powers that I like is, is the the peacemaker number three, which is basically you, oh yes, uh, where where you can calm uh, a, a situation so that uh, or it, it it not only calms people but it it actually prevents people from from being uh, excited or upset so that that you can. Uh, you you basically force people to not necessarily agree with each other, but at least be civil and peaceful uh, to each other. And the the bigger the crowd, the the more uh, difficult it gets to to um, uh, to to keep this feeling of of peace and and community. But but it's it's a very cool power. Yeah, uh, the merits and flaws have a few that could be backgrounds or just up to role-playing, but there are some interesting ones like the aforementioned blotted by the code uh, or the flaw where you are not blotted at all, uh, so you can't learn Warrior Valorant uh, at a high enough level until you get blotted, which is a really nice story hook. Yeah, and and you get, uh, it's it's a five-point flaw, so you, you get a lot of value for, for your, uh, for, for, uh, for it. So you can you can spend that to, to still make a really good character and and then you can have uh, hopefully not the entire chronicle but at least like a, a big driving factor uh, for your character is just to be blooded so that you can uh, yeah go on and, and improve yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, the next thing we get is the the. Uh, templates, uh, six of them. I really don't have anything to say here. You guys know what these templates are all about. Is there anything here that stood out to you? No, not not really. Again, it's uh, no, not nothing special actually. I, I, to be perfectly honest, I was I was more annoyed by the by the boring outfits that that everyone was <laughs> yes. wearing. Uh, but but yeah, you you do have uh, like like some interesting ideas or, or something that could probably expand it into uh so uh but but yeah they they display the different aspects of of uh, the clan uh, in quite a good way uh to to show that 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 the salubri doesn't have to be all the same and and even if you're a warrior the, there are still many kinds of warrior and stuff like that so yeah it it, it does its job yeah uh, then we have the, the standard Vampires of Note appendix, uh, useful if you want some interesting NPCs mm. in your game. I really appreciated the inclusion of Ahab the Traitor, which gives you a nice villain and shows that even the Salubri can falter. Yeah. We end with a repetition of the story that it was Saulot who created the Bali bloodline, which is something we've heard many times before. But, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting story hook. It's always fun to, to have some information about that. Uh, do you have any comments on these appendices? Uh, no, I, I agree. I, I do like the, the different uh, NPCs uh, that they include. Uh, and uh, yeah, oh yeah, one one thing actually, it's it speaks about um, uh, one of the Raziel, is that how you pronounce her? One, uh, Raziel or Raziel yeah. or something like that, I'm um, not 100% sure. But but mention that, the again, the narrator, uh, narrator uh, he's... Um, uh, she she talks uh, he he talks about uh, going somewhere uh, and and hearing uh, songs uh, performed by street buskers that that Ray Seal or or they have a connection to Ray Seal or or that it's basically her songs living on uh, throughout even even though she might be gone uh, her music still lives on and I it's it's a very nice touch and and I like the fact that. Uh, it, it 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 kind of shows, and it goes back to what we talked about previously, like like you, um, how uh, the image or or how people leave traces. Like like if if you uh, if you're a warrior uh, and you save someone and you you introduce yourself to the to the mortal that you saved as Michael, that person is probably going to think that, or it might think that you're the angel Michael, uh, and and so again that that you leave these kind of almost mythical traces here and there and and uh in this case the the music of raziel uh she she has left something that is still in the world and and if it might have been misinterpreted it might not have anything to do with her at all but it's still something that that connects myth to reality which which is something i i really like when you have these kind of is it isn't it moments 
Yes. Um, so, time to rate this book. It's very short, only 72 pages, uh, but I feel I didn't really, it didn't really need to be any longer. It gives a nice insight into the Salubri, and if you want to play one or include one in your game, I think it's a good book to have. There was nothing that really wowed me in the book, but neither was there much that I thought was unnecessary, except for ha perhaps for that level 10 power. Yeah. Um, you know, the Salubri are a fascinating clan, so maybe they didn't need uh, a, a long book to make them any more special. Um, I'll say I've, I've always thought that a warrior Salubri could be an interesting thing to play, but reading this has given me more of an interest in, in portraying uh, a healer salubri. Uh, what's your verdict? Yeah, I I agree with that. It's it's not a very, or rather, it doesn't have that many pages. But there are very few pages that aren't like literally like like almost crowded with text. It's a lot of text, and uh, there are very few of these full or half page illustrations. So it's 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 a very dense book. Uh, and as I mentioned previously, it, sometimes it can almost be. A bit difficult to read because they change yeah. fonts, um, and uh, but but yeah, I, I liked it. it. It has a lot of good uh, takes on on stuff. Like for example, with feeding, when when they mentioned that uh, Saulot said that uh, that his clan shouldn't feed on on people who uh, who fear them, and so the warrior caste has interpreted this as okay. Fear is completely different from from anger or hatred <laughs> or rage. So if I fight you uh, until the point that you no longer fear me, then I can eat from you. And it's it's this kind of uh, philosophical, almost religious kind of of, of skirting the rules or bending the rules that I, I really enjoy. Uh, where like doesn't matter the situation where. When when you come down to the like the, the nitty gritty and and the finagling of of rules, um, like of course we can eat uh, otter or beaver uh, because they swim in the water, so they're a fish. So they're so fish. Even if we're not allowed, <laughs> if even if we're just allowed to eat fish on on Fridays, uh, because we're Catholics, we can still eat seal and otter and beaver and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I really like things like that. Um, I uh, for, from a historical point of view being the kind of nerdy person that i am um i do like that the the clan coat of arms is uh is very simple um and uh because early herald heraldry was often quite simple it, it was often yes. just geometrical shapes uh i do think that they, they still break some of the heraldic rules and that is that you're not supposed to have um metals that is silver or gold on other metals so the the coat of arms uh, it's the shield is split in three and you have one silver and one gold field and one red field uh, and on on the silver field you have a gold eye and on the gold field you have a silver eye and you really shouldn't uh, have that but again when it comes to heraldry the you you can see that they follow the rules as often as they don't, but that's that's just a minor nitpick. Um, I think we figured out why the Ventru end up siding against the um, the Salubri. You violated yeah. the heraldry <laughs> rules. rules. That is unacceptable. <laughs> no, but but yeah. Overall, I, I uh, except for the parts that I f found annoying to read, I I like this book and uh, it's um, it gives. Uh, a nice perspective on on a clan that um, is quite different from other clans, if if nothing else, because they are uh, are on the way out. Yes. All right. The next book we are going to look at will be Fountains of Bright Crimson, the second scenario book for Dark Ages. So we'll see if it fares any better than Clash of Wills. Mm. Um, Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Uh, no, not, not really. Uh, this was a cool book. I enjoyed it. And well, I, again, I want to thank all our listeners. Yes, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for listening. And uh, I hope that we keep on keeping you entertained. Uh, but... It is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time. Bye.